In this episode, I'm going to tell you a story. It's dark and it's sad and I'm warning you now that there's no happy ending. This is a case with no full stop. For those of us who grew up in the UK in the 90s, Manic Street Preachers were as much a staple of the early grunge scene as the Stone Roses and Oasis. Through deep, honest lyrics discussing everything from politics to personal poverty, these four men gave a voice to the working-class youth of Britain, who had long since realised that their government did not have their best interests at heart. I'm going to tell you a harrowing story of a man whose publicity stunts, or cries for help depending on who you talk to, horrified a nation. The story of a man who disappeared at the peak of his fame. Listener discretion is advised. This is the story of Richie James Edwards. On the 30th of August 1994, Welsh alternative rock band The Manic Street Preachers released their third studio album, The Holy Bible. With a clear punk influence and heavy themes primarily focusing on human suffering, the album was a critical and commercial success. It sold over 600,000 copies worldwide and resulted in the band being invited to perform their lead single, Faster, on popular British music chart program, Top of the Pops. This performance garnered the most complaints the BBC had ever received at the time, due to the band's military regalia and singer James Dean Bradfield wearing a balaclava. Many viewers interpreted this as a show of support for the IRA. For those who didn't grow up in the UK, the IRA, which is the Irish Republican Army, were a paramilitary movement in Ireland in the 20th century, dedicated to the Irish Republicanism. The belief that all of Ireland should be an independent republic from British rule and free to form their own government. Violence plagued this plight, and that story is worthy of its own podcast. The band never confirmed or denied this, but 25,000 complaints were received nonetheless. The song begins with a direct quote from the film based on George Orwell's 1984. It states, I hate purity, hate goodness. I don't want virtue to exist anywhere. I want everyone corrupt. The album displayed a bleakness common in post-Cobain 90s rock, but the album was soon to take on a whole new meaning. Richie Edwards, the band's 
enigmatic lyricist and rhythm guitarist spilled his inner darkness onto music sheets and released it for the world to hear. Often referred to as a leading artist of his time, the raw way in which he discussed his battle with depression, alcohol abuse and anorexia was new in that he never claimed to be a tortured soul and used it to gain success. He was just an honest one. The Holy Bible is considered Richie's greatest work, never to be overshadowed. For on the 1st of February 1995, five months after its release, Richie disappeared. Richard James Edwards was born on the 22nd of December 1967 in Blackwood, Wales. It was here that four working class boys used to play street versus street football and watch the collapse of the mining industry. In the 1970s, a strike by coal miners left Britain on the infamous three-day week. Coal was Britain's lifeblood and without it, the economy could come to a standstill. It was feared that unions were leveraging their power to gain excessive wage increases and threatening to shut down the country if they didn't get their way. In response to this challenge of power, in early 1984, the Conservative government of Margaret Thatcher announced plans to close 20 coal pits which led to the year-long miners' strike, which ended in March 1985. Wales was the last place to end their strike. During Thatcher's reign, unemployment tripled. The loss was felt so heavily across Britain that a new era was born, and four young men desperate never to be at the mercy of their government, sought solace in intelligence and music. As Ritchie grew up in the grey of 1980s Britain, he became a shy, acne-ridden misfit and found relief in the works of Orwell and Plath. His love of music came second as he studied a degree in political science at Swansea University. During this time, the quirky thinker found himself an integral part of his friend's new band. He was their roadie. He would drive them in his van to and from their gigs and write beautifully worded fluff to music magazines to help his childhood mates garner some much needed attention. The original lineup of the Manic Street Preachers formed in 1986. It wasn't until early 1988 that the original rhythm guitarist left due to a belief that they were moving away from their original punk roots. Richie found himself as the unwitting fill-in despite his apprehension towards the guitar. Why is everyone hung up on an ugly piece of wood and metal and strings, he asked. I can't play guitar very well, but I want to make the guitar look lethal. Thus, the posing maestro was born. 
The early prose of the Manics were littered with clever, left-leaning political agenda and references to events and public figures of the time. They were intelligent, well-read, and wise beyond their years. Richie soon found himself the spokesperson of the band. The early years of the Manics were plagued with comparisons to other bands, everyone from The Clash to Nine Inch Nails. Their first album, Generation Terrorist, came out hot on the heels of what is often referred to now as one of Richie's darkest moments. On the 15th of May 1991, Richie, usually the spokesperson for the band, was being interviewed by NME journalist Steve Lamack. When questioning the band's authenticity and ensuring the punk aesthetic was not being abused, Lamack bore witness to a post-gig Richie sketch the term for real into his forearm using a razor blade. Richie often referred to his struggle with self-harm during interviews. He was one of the first public figures to do so so candidly, thus capturing the attention of many a lost soul. He was quoted stating, When I cut myself I feel so much better. All the little things that might have been annoying to me suddenly seem so trivial because I'm concentrating on the pain. I'm not a person who can scream and shout, so this is my only outlet. It's all done very logically. By May 1993, Richie was also suffering from anorexia nervosa. The song Four Stone Seven Pounds on the Holy Bible is said to be in reference to the weight at which death becomes medically unavoidable for an anorexia sufferer. Mark Edwards of Stylus Magazine inferred that the song comes as close to glamorizing anorexia as you can get. It was April 1994 when Manic Street Preachers played two shows in Bangkok, Thailand. On the second night, Richie was given a set of knives by a fan with a note that said, cut yourself for me. He used them to cut his chest before the show. It was around this time that Richie's good friend from university was found hanged and his favorite singer, Kurt Cobain, was found dead due to a self-inflicted gunshot wound. The band saw in retrospect, the Thai concerts were the beginning of the serious trouble with Richie. On the 24th of June, the Manics played a headline show at Glastonbury Festival. To this day, often referred to as the peak of any band's success. Yet, in July, Richie disappeared for 48 hours. Shortly after he returned, following two days of drinking and self-mutilation in an apparent suicide attempt, he was committed to Whitchurch Hospital in Cardiff. 
then to the Priory Clinic in Roehampton for 10 weeks of rehabilitation. The band's popularity was growing at a fantastic pace. After a successful UK tour in October, they set off for Europe supporting Suede. Nikki, the band's bassist and usual singer, discovered after a show in Amsterdam that Richie had cut himself vertically down his chest, an injury which required 36 stitches. Richie's behaviour was only becoming more and more troublesome. Sometime during the tour, he bought a meat cleaver, apparently intending to chop off his fingers so that he wouldn't have to play on stage, in emulation of Steve Clark, guitarist for Def Leppard. The cleaver was taken away from Richie before he could use it on himself. His final live performance with the band was at the London Astoria on the 21st of December 1994. The concert ended with the band infamously smashing their equipment and damaging the lighting system. 1995. The final days. During January, the band spent a lot of time rehearsing for their upcoming tour of the US. They were also working on their fourth album. On the 23rd of January, back at his flat in Cardiff, Richie gave his last interview. The Japanese journalist Midori Tsukagoshi did not beat around the bush. You injured yourself. Yes, and I drank a lot. I thought I was strong and my body and spirit could take the punishment, but I was wrong. I was weak. In the end, I found I just couldn't physically get out of bed and I didn't understand why. It's very important for me to understand things. Like, last summer, I'd sit thinking about the smallest things over and over, but it's difficult to live in that frame of mind. It means you can't move. Back then, I was living on my own, without anyone to speak to. I didn't even have a telephone. It's important to clear your mind sometimes. Exactly. But the thing is, sometimes I'll write solidly for a few days and it'll be nothing but rubbish. And then I'll worry I won't be able to write anything else and that makes me feel sick in myself. Do you find it difficult? Not really. I have no regrets. Regrets are meaningless. You can't change yesterday or tomorrow. You can only change this present moment. Before, all I was doing was destroying myself. But to me, the worst thing I did was keep trying to be normal, which is how I ended up in hospital. Now I wake up in the morning and I want to write. It makes me feel better in myself. Songwriting is an art, and I get such satisfaction from it, and I didn't want to lose that part of me. You know, I, I miss my dog, Snoopy. He died two weeks ago. That's why I shaved my head. He was 17 years old. I've had him since I was little. On the 31st of January, Richie spoke to his mother for the last time. He told her he wasn't looking forward to going to America. 
He was staying at the London Embassy Hotel with his bandmate, James Dean Bradfield. The next day, the 1st of February, he checked out of the hotel at 7am. This is the last time Richie is confirmed to have been sighted. It is certain that he drives to his flat in Cardiff where he leaves some things before driving away again. Meanwhile, James goes on to America, believing Richie may turn up after a few days. The band's manager wasted no time in reporting Richie missing, doing so on February 2nd, after not being able to make contact with him. During the following few days, a few sightings are reported. A fan claimed to have seen him at a bus station near his home on the 5th of February. They discussed a mutual friend, and it was a pretty normal interaction. The fan at the time didn't realise that Richie was missing. On the 7th of February, a taxi driver also claimed to have driven him around his hometown before dropping him at a service station. He allegedly paid for the £68 fare in cash. On the 17th of February, Richie's Vauxhall Cavalier is found abandoned at a service station. It is apparent that he had been living in it for a time. The battery was run down and burger wrappers and pictures of his family, which were taken the month before, were found inside. The service station was close to Severn Bridge, locally known as a destination for many suicides. On the 15th of April 1996, one of the Manic Street Preachers' most successful singles was released, A Design for Life. In 2008, they released an album comprising of only lyrics left behind by Richie. It's called A Journal for Plague Lovers. That same year, Richie's parents changed his legal status to presumed dead. They were granted control of his estate, and the missing person case on Richie is now officially closed. So much is made of the mental health issues Richie was plagued with during the last few months before his disappearance. However, I must give you this. A direct quote from Richie from an interview in September 1994, five months before his disappearance. In terms of the S word, that does not enter my mind. It never has done in terms of an attempt, because I'm stronger than that. I might be a weak person, but I can take the pain. As described by Vice Journalist Emma Garland on the 1st of September, 2014. 
Richie Edwards left behind a legacy that will continue to inspire, comfort and mystify in equal measure. But we should be careful not to reduce that legacy to something that is as two-dimensional as a tortured artist. He was so much more than that. Richie Edwards wasn't a tortured artist, he was a child of depression, both medical and economic, who was able to turn a desolate circumstance into something beautiful and enduring. Some people ask, why didn't they help Richie in reference to his friends and bandmates? Here is a quote from James Dean Bradford during an interview while Richie was still in hospital during the recording of Holy Bible. The other day, he growls, this person said to me, did you do all you can do for him? I said, of course. And they said, are you sure? I thought, I'm going to punch your face right across the room in a minute. You do all you can, but you can't put someone in a straitjacket. It's a cliche, but you can only be there for the fall. James visited him a lot in hospital. So did Sean Moore. Nicky rushed to his apartment in Cardiff as soon as he heard he'd disappeared. It seemed he'd only missed him by a few hours. They played shows without him to pay for his hospital treatment. They all went through hell. It's rumoured that they still keep a spare microphone on stage left and stash away his portion of the royalties, just in case. If you or anyone you know is struggling right now, or if this episode has brought up issues for you, please see the show notes for some important links. Awareness and action is the best that we can do. What do you think happened to Richie?